pretty awesome to be a part of a church that, that has numerous ways to give, both locally and around the world. I'm not sure it's awesome that Christmas is coming that fast, so we better get ourselves prepared for that. Um, I'm Pastor Andrea. I'm the next-gen young adult pastor, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. And I'd just like to take a minute and just pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for meeting us in the middle of messiness, for bringing us into spaces where we can hear your word. And this morning, I pray that your spirit would just move throughout my being and that my words would not be my own, but they would be of you. God, open up our hearts and our ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I returned from a trip to Ethiopia. I think I shared that when I was doing communion a couple of weeks ago, too. Um, but we had traveled there to meet my adopted son, Baruch's birth mom, for the very first time. There's a million things to be said about that week. I wish I had all the time to share about it this morning, but I'm going a different direction. I do want to tell you, though, everything was awesome until the flight home. You see, our flight... It went out at 1.30 a.m. That's pretty late when you have an eight and 10-year-old. We were exhausted from the week because we had experienced all of these emotional highs, all these amazing moments. I mean, it was like an epic dream week. But you can imagine that when we arrived at the airport at 10 p.m. to check in our bags with my two kids in tow, um, that we were spent. We were as tired as tired gets. In fact, we were standing in line and my kids just kept saying, I just wanna sleep, mom. I'm like, I wanna sleep too. And so we checked our bags in and then that is when it happened. My husband decided to get sick. Well, I'm not sure it was his choice, but he turned to me and he said, I just don't feel good. I'm gonna run to the bathroom. He was in there for a while. Sorry, I'm selling him out this morning, but he came back. And now it's getting closer and closer to approaching the time to board our plane, which the first flight was four hours, the second flight was 14. And I look over at him and he takes the lid off the trash can in front of everyone in the airport that doesn't speak English and he just starts throwing up. I turn to the guy next to me and ensure him as best as I can, you know what? It was something he ate. Don't worry, you're not gonna catch anything. <laughs> it's totally fine. Those four hours on the flight, he spent the majority of them in the bathroom, uh, throwing up, continuing to throw up, getting meds from the flight attendant. Mind you, in the back of my head, I was thinking, we still have another 13-hour flight. What in the world are we going to do? Well, they told us to stay on the plane. They wouldn't let us off until everybody deboarded. Um, we had about an hour and a half, two hours in between our, our two flights, and they told him they were gonna take him to medics. In those moments, he realized what was happening. He was having a gallstone attack, which he's had before. That's another story for another day. They took him back to the medics. We walked a long ways to the medics. We were in uh, Doha, Qatar in the Middle East, and um, they carted him back, and the kids and I were sitting in the waiting room, and uh, we waited and waited, and I kept watching the time tick because there was one flight out on our airline to the United States, and it was not even to Philadelphia. It was to New York City. And I kept thinking, are we going to make any flight? Because about two hours in, I realized we missed our flight. The kids are now sprawled out again, totally wiped out. The guy is like, you want to go see your husband? You can go check on him back there. So I leave the kids in the waiting room. I walk back and there's my husband with his shirt off, hooked up to all these machines with an IV and I'm like, we're not going anywhere. Well, thankfully, 
After a lot of tears in front of some people, they got us on a flight and we would wind up flying into JFK in New York City many hours later, getting in at midnight only to rent a car and drive back to Philadelphia, all with the same eight and 10 year old, which all they wanted to do was sleep. It was a struggle to say the least. Definitely was not anything like the prior trip. Sometimes our days feel like, like everything is just hitting at once and the feelings we feel, they are a perception of our reality. But what we choose to do with those realities come from the perspective that we actually approach them with. Check out this video behind me. Wrong side of the bed, wrong side of the pillow, whatever. Put your hands up, raise your hands. That's what I thought, every one of you. Now when the world pulls that game with me, I'm gonna tell you what I do. I savor it. That's right, savor it. And let me tell you why because you aren't going anywhere anytime soon without a struggle, without a fight, without people doubting you, questioning you, trying to keep you down. Too many of you don't realize that. But what's the point of succeeding if succeeding is easy? I never got that. Never understood people who wish they were born rich. Never understood athletes who just wanted to join the best teams. Build your own business. Start your own dynasty. A good start to a day is easy. I want no part of easy. I want the struggle. Here we go. I want the fight. I want the pain. Oh, my goodness. And then I want the best feeling of all. The feeling that the world did everything it could to beat me. But I won. I do apologize, that's a Kansas City Chiefs video, but it's also Forrest Whitaker's speech that I believe is really powerful. How many of us in the room would say we are people that choose to savor the moments of struggle? To wake up each day and declare, I want no part in easy, give me the hard stuff, give me the fight, give me the pain, all so in the end we can say, we beat it, we won. Here's the thing, as much as I wanna wave a magic wand over our struggles and fix the seasons that leave us depleting and questioning, the truth is we cannot always change the realities that we are faced with, the circumstances we find ourselves in. John 16, 33, Jesus's words say, in this world you will have trouble, but then he gives us the hope and says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so we have the hope this morning and we get to choose how we're gonna respond to the realities that lay right in front of us. What perspective we'll lean into and in those moments, perspective is powerful. I've been thinking about the idea of perspective since I've been back from Ethiopia. Um, if you know anything about Ethiopia, it's a third world country that not only has a significant amount of civil unrest, but it's a place where for many people, poverty is a reality every day. Basic needs, um, they're hard to find. It's an everyday struggle. 
Our family and I, our family got to visit a ministry called Embracing Hope. Um, it's a ministry where uh, a friend of ours, Eliu, he works to um, take care of mothers who are working at the city dump. It's actually the largest city dump. Um, the women ravage through the stuff in the garbage trying to find stuff to sell. And so this ministry takes their children and educates them and takes care of them during the day. And we were touring the ministry building and hearing about his story, which just was really powerful, watching these kids, high-fiving these little kids. All while in the distance, we could see this mountain-sized dump out through the window. And I kept thinking in my mind, man, our worlds are so different. Our realities are so different, two different perspectives. And poverty for me and my family as we looked outside that day took on a different meaning. Power, perspective is powerful. If you wanna see how powerful it is, turn on the news. Get your social media up and scroll through it. Listen to a podcast, because within minutes, things that you thought were true or that you believed to be true are suddenly now in question. What looked for sure to be a reality, it's now being shown from a different perspective and it's got you questioning everything. Maybe you know those moments, maybe you've been in those moments this week as you've watched the news if you're a news watcher. We've watched a war break out between the countries of Israel and Palestine and perspective is powerful. As a pastor that works with young people, I've had the privilege of going to a lot of concerts in my life, in particular big music festivals. And if you know anything about music festivals, you know um, there's a difference between sitting up on the hillside and then really experiencing it from the front of the row. I don't know if you guys have had that experience, two different perspectives. My husband, Nate, uh, he decided one year, I don't, I don't remember what I turned, but I was well past 30. He wanted to surprise me with tickets to one of my favorite bands, Audio Adrenaline, which I'm dating myself, I know that. They were playing in this huge arena in Baltimore and I was stoked about it because he had like splurged and bought floor seats. Like they were like state-of-the-art best seats that you could have. And I was like, now this is an experience. Until about an hour into it, one of the uh, security guards came over and got me and invited me, this is a true story, to go sing on the stage with the lead singer. <laughs> well, my perspective on what was sweet was totally changed. That experience was off the charts, a total game changer. Perspective is powerful. It can open, us, open our eyes to th see things that we wouldn't normally see. It invites us actually into new possibilities it has a potential to like enlarge our worldview, how we see things, and it causes us to even do things we would never do. Perspective also has the opposite effect. It can cause us to shrink back in fear, to live with a glass half empty mentality, to dream a little less or even small. Perspective is powerful. I remember the first time that I stepped foot in an orphanage on a trip to Honduras. I had no idea what to expect. It was my very first like, time even being in an orphanage. When I walked in that day, I saw about 150 kids living in conditions that I'm not kidding you, we would not deem okay for animals. That day, my perspective was radically altered. I walked in, walked in and I saw babies sharing cribs, like two and three babies per crib. Babies whose diapers weren't changed all day. I saw special needs, special needs kids tied to their crib. And in those moments, like the Lord just started to shift my perspective and break my heart for the things that break his. And eventually led to us adopting our two children. What we encounter 
can often be the launching pad for an outcome, but we often need a shift in perspective. The Israelites were a people who were struggling with perspective. I feel like they had that problem most of their life. After they had just been freed from slavery in Egypt and watched God do some things of epic proportions, which by the way, let me just remind you, included splitting an entire body of water, defeating crazy opposition, providing food literally out of nowhere, and guiding them through the wilderness by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were still living as people who were enslaved. Because of the realities they were facing, they were struggling to trust God and they spent most of their days complaining and they found themselves even wanting to return back to their old way of life. Nevertheless, this passage that we're about to examine, they find themselves on the edge of the promised land, a land that for generations they've been waiting to enter. And they're at the end of what seems to have been a long journey and they're about to step into like this moment where their faith perspective would be critical to their future. And so we're gonna be in, in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, not reading its entirety, but I want you just to pull that out, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. I'd encourage you to read it in its entirety later on. Chapter 13 starts with this commissioning of sorts from the Lord to Moses, the leader of the Israelites. And verse one and two, if you look at it, tells us that the Lord sends, asks Moses to send out some men who are going to explore the promised land that he is giving to the Israelites. I'm gonna say that again, that he is giving to the Israelites because I just want you to hold on to that for a minute. That's gonna come into play. These men that he's about to send out, they aren't just any men, they're 12 leaders. These are the people that Moses knows for a fact, people will follow these guys. They're leaders who are deeply respected by their tribes. And so Moses tells them, go figure out what the land is about. You know, go see what resources are there. How hard is it gonna be to get into there, into this promised land? And so the men do that. They go out for 40 days. They're checking everything out. They come back with this huge, big, gigantic cluster of grapes that's so big that they have to carry it on poles. I just find that fascinating. And then they come back with a report of what they see from their perspective. I wanna pick up in chapter 13 in Numbers with verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them into the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does in fact flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites live there in the Jeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of that land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than us. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land, the land devours things living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. They sound like they're whining, by the way. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. You got 12 men, one reality, two perspectives. If you've ever seen that like old school psychology test where you can see like either an old woman or a young woman in the same picture, I feel like this is one of those moments. 
These 12 men enter the promised land, a land that's filled with everything you could ever imagine and want, but a land that's also filled with people who seem to be a bit of a challenge. And there's no question, those are two of the realities that lay ahead, but the perspective they choose will have an impact on not just them, but on generations to come within their family. And so in this moment, we see what happens when you choose a perspective or when a perspective competes with another. 12 men looking at the same reality that yes, this land is barricaded. Yes, there are literal giants in the land, but that's what they had let allow them to determine what they were going to do. Truth was, there was another reality in the picture. Maybe one that was a little less in their view in those moments. God had just delivered them from slavery. He had just parted the sea. He had just provided out of nothing. And so Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12, chose to lean into that perspective. Two different perspectives with two different dominating realities. I've wondered how many times a perspective clouded by the reality is maybe our fear kept us from the reality of what God has promised us in this life that is exceedingly good. If you fast forward to chapter 14, verse seven, Joshua describes the land as just that, exceedingly good. When I think of something exceedingly good, I don't think of something as mediocre. People often ask me about donuts, it's a thing, you guys know that. They say, is Krispy Kreme good? I'm like, well, it's good, but a hot donut now is exceedingly good. What God has for us is exceedingly good. When it comes to your life, your personal life, your family's life, this church, our community, all of these things around us, the world, he has the plans that are the best kind of plans that comes from the reality that is rooted in scripture. And I think sometimes when we're faced against opposition and we have experienced that this week, when we're struggling to trust the future or to just trust God, we choose a different perspective. But God says, Your, my kingdom can unfold right here on earth, a kingdom that has compassion and kindness and purpose and unconditional love, and it will shift everything. That is what's exceedingly good. But if we wanna see God's kingdom here on earth, we have to shift our perspective. Caleb and Joshua were two leaders who understood the reality of what God was offering them. And I think that's why they said when they all came back and they were standing together, we should go and we should take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I would have loved to see a pin drop in that moment because it was a statement rooted in a God perspective, one that realized God's not already told us that we can already, he hasn't only told us that we could take the land, but he is a protector. He fights for us and that is our reality. And so in that moment, it becomes this defining moment for Caleb and the Israelites, a moment where the perspective that would be chosen would be the launching pad for an outcome. Let's pick up in verse one of, verse, of chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They're still complaining. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as, as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should just choose a different leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly and gathered there. 
Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb's son, Jephunneh, who were among them who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. There is something powerful about shifting our perspective. For starters, a God perspective, it actually allows us to see impossibilities turn into possibilities. When I, when I see scripture throughout scripture, it is story after story after story about God taking things that looked like they were impossible and were never gonna shift and never gonna change and he just flipped them upside down. You know those stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Peter walking on water, Lazarus being bought, brought back to life. We've seen them in our own life when God has chosen to heal someone, when someone's beaten addiction because of the power of Christ, when a prodigal kid has come back home. We've all experienced something impossible turned possible, not because of our own strength, but because of the spirit of God moving in that situation. Ephesians 3.20, one of my life mantras, mantras says, God can do anything, you know, far greater than anything we could imagine or drum up for ourselves. When we shift our perspective, we see the realities that God sees everything changes. And for Caleb and Joshua that day, they chose, to, they chose a reality that God could do the impossible. And so their God perspective proved the impossible to be possible. I think a God perspective also allows us to see our inabilities turn into capabilities. Verse 33 tells us the men were complaining, saying, we just look like grasshoppers. How many times have we said, we're just too small, we're just too weak. There's no way we could do that. There's no way we could, we, we just can't. We have nothing to offer. But God looks at us and he says, it's all about my capability. It's about what my power can do through you. And I believe that Caleb and Joshua understood this, so they pleaded with the people, don't you know who we are? We're God's chosen people, and he said we're gonna take the land, and so we're gonna conquer it. What else do we need? Shifting our perspective turns our inabilities to God's capabilities, and it will launch us into a totally different outcome. I think a God perspective also transforms us from settlers to dreamers. If there's one thing that we learn living through a global pandemic, it, it, it's that we learn it's pretty easy to stay comfortable. When we're faced with an unknown future or uncertainty, it's easy to just hunker down and just like pray that things are gonna go back to normal. And sometimes we wanna just go back to what we know, what's familiar, what's kept us in bondage. But God's desire is, is, is more than us just settling. He wants us to dream big things. He wants us to lean into the realities of who he is so we can access this exceedingly good future. When we shift our eyes to see from a God perspective, we take our desire to be in control and we place it on a deep-seated trust with the God who is. And unfortunately, our human perspective many times is just that, it's human. And so we've got to lean in to what God is dreaming and what God sees as possible. We know it will lead to a better outcome. So I guess the question this morning is what kind of outcome are you hoping for? 
When you think about your personal life or you think about the people that are in your house, the church, the next generation, maybe situations that are going on, what is the outcome that you're hoping for? You know, I think we could list out, I, as, I, as I talk with young people and I listen as they navigate mental health things or I scroll through social media and just see all of the fighting and the things that are going on, as I'm trying to parent, which I think I shared with you not too long ago, uh, in, in this post-Christian world, I, I know it's overwhelming, but I know what the outcome is that I'm hoping for. The outcome is that God would be in control and that his reign would be seen. Listen to the outcome found going back to chapter 14, verse 16. Sorry, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall, every one of your 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifting hands to make your home except for Caleb and Joshua. As for your children, that you said would take, be taken plunder. I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies die and lies in the desert. This blows my mind. As the Israelites are standing literally on the edge of greatness, holding on to what they can control, they're missing out on all that God has for them. And because of them, their kids have to take a time out, a 40-year time out. As I wrestled with that and thought about that, like if we're holding on to these things that we so bad want because we only can see one perspective, what are our gen this generation, what is this generation missing out on? I know what I want the outcome to be, and I believe that it's exceedingly good. But in order to access a God perspective and a God reality for the things that he wants, not just what we want, we have to anchor ourselves in his promises. His promises, some of them say this, I have the plans for you, coming from Jeremiah. Don't fear, I'm with you, coming from Joshua. I'll give you rest when you're weary, coming from Matthew. Nothing's impossible with me. God can be trusted, found in Mark. Whatever you ask for, it's yours. That one is found in Mark as well. These are promises that we can stake our life on and the Bible is full of them. But if we're gonna shift our perspective, we have to remind ourselves of who God is and who we are not. What God says he can do and what God says he is capable of doing through us. We anchor ourselves in that. The second thing is to remember is faithfulness. If you want to shift your perspective, Look back to where God has been faithful. I'll be totally honest, when you're sitting in the middle of a hard situation that doesn't make sense, it's hard to think that God's gonna show up. But if we can look back and we can point to the places where God has been faithful, it will remind us he will continue to be faithful even in the hard things. We could tell a room full of things and places where God has shown up. Those reminders of his faithfulness, which Caleb and Joshua are reminding the people of when spoken out loud, they will shift your perspective inch by inch by inch until only you can see God and his goodness. 
The last thing's simple, but I think the hardest thing to do if you wanna shift to a God perspective, it's to follow wholeheartedly. You know, when I went and sang up on that concert, uh, in that concert that I was telling you about in the beginning, the audio adrenaline one, um, my husband actually shoved me out of the row towards the security guy. And before I know it, knew it, I was next to the lead singer with his arm around me in front of thousands of people singing a song that I didn't remember the lyrics to. I was completely and wholeheartedly in. God saw that in Caleb and Joshua, and I think he wants it for us. And he said to them, because my servant Caleb and then Joshua later has had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Verses later, Joshua is included and you see that they do get to see the promised land. But it was because they shifted their perspective to the God realities that lay in front of them. They anchored themselves in his promises. They remembered what he had been faithful in and they chose to go in and follow him wholeheartedly. I don't know about for you, what you're experiencing this morning. I know for our staff, it has been a long couple of days and that it is hard to stay rooted in a God perspective. But he is a God who does the miraculous. He is a God that sits with us in the pain. He is a God who has shown up and will continue to show up no matter what we're facing or where we've been. He is the God who does the impossible. He's a God that empowers us to do capable things because he's inside of us. And he is the God that wants us to come to him and give him everything. When our perspective shifts, it's often the launching pad for an outcome. And that outcome is exceedingly good and it will in fact affect the lives of generations to come. Let's pray. Father, as we've come into this space, we just wanna declare you are good and you are faithful. And so in these moments, as we continue to worship together, God, would you just shift our perspective, not to see the giant sitting in front of us, but to see the faithful God who is sitting with us and fights for us. For that's the perspective that leads to what's exceedingly good. And you know what's exceedingly good, God. Father, you have all of us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.